Since we have some children here today, I'm going to take just a minute to speak to all of you. If you want to draw a picture or, or do whatever you need to do while I share a special word with you. The Bible story that Mr. Doug just read was all about love. There were some people who asked Jesus, what is most important for us to know about God? And he said, love God, love your neighbor, and love yourself. And you know what? All of us here in the sanctuary today, no matter how old we are, are still learning how to do that. How to love God, how to love our neighbors, and how to love ourselves. We'll always be working on that. The one I want to think about with you is how do we love God? How do we show that we love God? Because God really wants our love. When I think about when God created the whole world and then God created people, the story of Adam and Eve said God wanted to come at the end of the day and walk in the garden with Adam and Eve just to spend time with them because God loved them. And God loves you and just wants to spend time with you and be like a friend for you. So how can we love God back? Well, maybe if you like to draw pictures, you could draw a picture for God and say, dear God, I drew this for you because I love you. Or if you like to make cookies, you can make cookies and share them with your family and set one aside and say, God, this one's for you. I love you. You can sing when we sing in church. You can pray and tell God how much you love God. Another way that we love God is by loving other people. God made everybody in the world. And if we can love other people, that's another way that we love God. So I bet you can be creative and think about some ways that you can show your love for God. Let's pray together. God, you love us so much. You created us to be just who we are. And we love you too. Show us the ways that we can love you back, that we can show you our love, whether we're five years old or 95 years old. Hear us when we say we love you and we want to show you and show the world your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for being here today. I have to go ahead and apologize for changing the mood so quickly after the children's choir, after the beautiful baptism and the celebration of the third grade Bibles. I want to mention for just a second that we finally made it through the final presidential debate. The second of two debates was actually hosted in Nashville. I don't know how many of you watched it, but it actually went better than the first debate. We got to hear some of the positions and policies and opinions of the two candidates. A debate is a long-standing tradition, centuries-old tradition. Whether it's a political debate or a religious debate or a philosophical debate, the art of the debate has often been a very fruitful practice. When done in good faith, the parties involved in a debate can come and present their ideas, speak their truths, 
and then listen as another person or other people share their ideas and their perspectives. And sometimes out of that kind of conversation and engagement can come something new, a new creative idea, a different perspective, an aha moment. That's why the debate, the argument, the in-depth conversation has been a regular part of religious practice in the Jewish community. In Jesus' day, it was a common thing for rabbis and teachers and and religious leaders to gather around together and and talk about the scriptures, to argue over the the Sabbath regulations and, and how to honor the Sabbath, to talk with each other about the different commandments and to disagree and to wrestle with each other in the hope that new insight would arrive. So it's that kind of debate and conversation that seems to be happening in our scripture text this morning. Now, if you've been worshiping with us for the past few weeks, you know that Jesus has been in the temple and that for several days he's been challenged by religious leaders of different sorts, political leaders as well, Pharisees, Sadducees, the chief priests, the Herodians. And this is the final challenge, and it comes back again from the Pharisees. And it sounds on the surface like a typical Pharisaic conversation. A lawyer steps up, an expert in the law, a scribe, and asks Jesus, of all of the 600 plus commandments in the Torah, which one do you think is the most important? No doubt this was a conversation they had had many times among themselves and they wanted to get Jesus' perspective. Now I don't know if this lawyer approaches Jesus in good faith. I don't know if he really, in his heart, wants to hear what Jesus has to say. Given all of the other conversations that have been happening, it could be that this man is testing Jesus. He's wanting to expose him in some way in front of the crowd. He wants to get the best of Jesus. But Jesus answers the question in good faith. Rather than do what he sometimes does is return the question with the question and and get the Pharisees all tangled up in their own answers, Jesus simply answers the question. And the way he answers the question is new. He does something new and creative in his answer to this question. He takes two different commandments from two different parts of the Torah From Deuteronomy, he takes a part of the Shema, which was a prayer the Jewish people would say every day, every time they entered the synagogue. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. That is the first commandment, Jesus says. Love God with all that you are. And then he does something new. He reaches in to Leviticus and pulls out a second commandment that he joins with the first one. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Connecting once and for all the love of God with love of neighbor and love of self. It is all one. It is all about love And Jesus says with great authority, on these two commandments hang all the other commandments. Every other thing that we do, that we say, that we believe is an outgrowth of this love for God and love for neighbor and love for self. It all comes down to love. 
it's so simple. And yet it is the work of a lifetime. How do we love God? How do we express our love for the God who created us? What does that look like in our daily living? How do we love our neighbor? And by neighbor, we know Jesus meant everyone. How do we show love for each person we encounter every day? And how do we learn to accept and love ourselves as God loves us? My friends, maybe the best we can do is keep this commandment in front of us every single day. Maybe the best we can do is to read these commandments again and and sit in silence for the next five or ten minutes and pray and ponder over them. There's so much to say and to do, to live into and live up to the greatest commandment. But rather than stand here and try to explain to you what I think it means, I'd like to tell you a story that I think reveals what this love might look like in daily life. I came across this story when I was reading Howard Thurman. You may have heard of Howard Thurman. He was a teacher and a preacher, a theologian, a Christian mystic. Some call him the the pastor of the civil rights movement. It was his theology, his practice, his understanding of love that helped shape the nonviolent movement in the civil rights era. It's said that Martin Luther King Jr. carried with him everywhere a copy of the Bible, the Constitution, and Howard Thurman's book, Jesus and the Disinherited. Thurman was born in 1899 and was raised by his grandmother, Nancy Ambrose, who had been born into slavery. He describes how he used to watch his grandmother and how she interacted with her neighbors. He and his grandmother lived in a segregated neighborhood in Daytona, Florida, but they were the last house at the end of this neighborhood. So that right next to them, their next door neighbor was a white woman. This woman was very unhappy to be living next to a black family a family of one who used to be a slave. Now, she was mean to everybody, apparently, but she was particularly hateful to Nancy Ambrose, her next-door neighbor. And so one day she decided that on a daily basis she would just scoop up the bottom of what was in the chicken coop and dump it over into Howard Thurman's grandmother's yard, just as a sign of her disgust. Howard Thurman said he never quite understood why his grandmother didn't confront her and didn't try and get back at her. But years later, the neighbor became sick. And because she had been so mean and ornery to everybody, there weren't many people who came to see her or to take care of her. She was alone. And so one day, Thurman's grandmother made some soup from the vegetables in her garden trimmed some roses from her rose bushes and went over to see her neighbor. She knocked on the door and at first the neighbor was very suspicious and disgruntled and didn't want to let Miss Ambrose in, but 
when she saw the soup and the flowers, she said, come on back. So Ms. Ambrose followed her back to her bedroom and she was so weak and tired, she immediately got back into the bed. And she looked at the roses that Ms. Ambrose had brought and said, my, those are beautiful roses. Where did you get those? And Thurman's grandmother said, well, in a way you helped me grow them. You know, all that manure you threw into my yard every day over the years, I decided to turn it over in the soil in my yard and use it as fertilizer. So it helped these roses grow to be so beautiful. And it helped these vegetables grow that I've made into soup for you. The woman said nothing. But as she tried to eat the soup that Nancy Ambrose had brought her, she was too weak to bring the spoon to her mouth. And so Nancy Ambrose sat next to her and spoonful by spoonful, she fed this neighbor love. Somehow this woman who had been born into slavery who had been preached at by white preachers who told her it was her place in the world to be a slave and that she should obey her masters. Somehow she learned that she was beloved and whole and beautiful in the eyes of God. She learned to love herself. Somehow she learned that the God who created her was a God of love and she learned to love and adore and delight in her God made known to her in Jesus. And somehow she learned to look at this neighbor who so abused her and see a child of God and to feed her spoonful by spoonful love. How do we love like that? It all comes down to love. Everything that we do, everything that we say, everything that we believe should be an outgrowth of love. Love should shape the daily living of our lives. It should shape how we treat our next door neighbors. It should shape how we treat our family members. It should shape how we shop, how we vote, how we do business, how we treat the stranger, how we disagree. Our invitation from Jesus in this story is to grow ever deeper in love with God, with neighbor, and with ourselves. And the gift of the church is that this is our place to practice. These are the people we can trust to show us how to love. We've made a promise to help little Cecilia learn what faith is all about and learn how to love. And so we get to show each other and forgive each other and hold each other accountable as we grow deeper in love. And just as Thurman's grandmother changed the heart of her next door neighbor. She changed the heart of her grandson, Howard Thurman, who then went on to write and change the hearts of people in the civil rights movement, who then went on to change our society and change our world. Love isn't just about individuals. It's about the world. But it all starts with a spoonful 
a vegetable soup.